Well, good morning, church. I know it's already been said by Kevin earlier, it's uh, just a, a wonderful thing to come on Sunday mornings and, and gather to sing the Lord's praises and to be with you, and it's a privilege to come and to, to preach the Word of God to you this morning. If you're with us, we, as Jeff mentioned, we are in the, the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter 4, so if you would turn there, we're going to be looking at three verses this morning. Uh, verses 17 through 19. And just as a way of reminder, and you've probably, if you've been with us, you've probably heard us say this several times, that the book of Ephesians is actually really split in, in, into two halves. The first three chapters are, are what we call I- indicatives. These are those things that are true and right and good. And so we, we love those uh, those chapters because they tell us who we are in Christ, and so we hold on to those truths. The second half, beginning in uh, chapters 4 through 6, we see that these are called uh, what we call imperatives, what we should do. So you have what is true and what we should do. And so we hold on to those. And and one of the key passages before we get into our verses, I'm going to read a couple passages before we get into our verses. One is found in, in chapter 2, verse 10, that says, We are His workmanship. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's a, that's a key word. That word walk is a key word in the book of Ephesians. And, and you're going to see it and hear it over again in my preaching today, but also in the weeks to come. That word walk actually is synonymous to the word live. This is how we walk, how we live as Christians. And in our passage, Paul is, is reminding them that they're, uh, of their lifestyle outside of Christ, a life that has no interest in, in, in Jesus Christ, no interest in why He came, no interest in, in what He did in the lives of believers. And so, and then Paul tells us, again, and these are not in our verses, but this is chapter 4, verse 22. He says, to, to put off the old self. So what Paul is addressing in our passage is, is doing that. But to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through dece- deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So that, that sets our context for our passage because when you look at, when you think about putting off and putting on, when, when I'm outside in the garden and I'm working hard and I'm getting dirty and I'm tired and I'm sweaty and I say, I need to get cleaned up, I don't walk in the house, I don't get clean clothes, and I don't put them over the top of the clothes I'm wearing. I take those old, dirty clothes off and I put on the new ones probably take a shower too. (laughs) So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. I'm going to finish actually in the first part of verse 20. This is the Word of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous 
and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning, and Lord, I just remember, I just remember what Kevin read earlier, that where does our help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, you are the creator God, and you have given us your word as a gift, a love gift to your people. I pray that your word would be on our hearts and in our minds, or that we would learn from it and grow from it, Lord, that we would be attentive to it, to hear it, to live it. Lord, we thank you again for this morning that, that we can come together and gather as a body of believers who loves you. Lord, we pray that that love for you would grow evermore, day by day, and that, Lord, we would love each other as we love ourselves. Lord, we thank you again for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a, a skit on YouTube. Some of you may have, have seen it. It's by a, a comedian who was around when I was younger, Bob Newhart. Anybody know who Bob Newhart is? All the older people raised their hand. But Bob Newhart is, in this skit, is, he's a therapist, and he has a client that, that comes into his office, and this client is, is coming in, and, and he, he says, they introduce each other, uh, themselves to each other, and, and he says, oh yes, you're, you're the one who is afraid or fearful of being buried alive in a box. And she says, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. And he, and he, tells, he tells her, well, let me just tell you about the billing for our meeting. He says it's $5 for the first five minutes. After that, it's free. And she says, well, that, that's too, too great. You know, that's so awesome. He goes, but let me just tell you, it's not going to go longer than five minutes. <laughs> and he says, so, so go ahead and... and and tell me what your issue is. And so she says, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of being buried alive in a box. And, and he says, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my counsel right now. And he says, it's just two words. She says, well, should I write it down? He goes, no, most people can remember these two words. And he says, stop it. <laughs> and she says, I can't. I can't stop it. He says, we don't go there. <laughs> he says, stop it. S-T-O-P, second word, I-T. I don't want to diminish people that have issues and need to go and, and talk to somebody and get counsel, but the reason... The reason I tell that story is because there's many so-called Christians who say, I can't stop it. I can't stop it. I, or even worse than that, they say this, I, I won't. I won't stop it. 
Or even worse than that, I don't need to stop it. A number of articles, and I've seen these on in the news uh, lately, that certain Christians claim that you can do and be whatever you want to be. Some of these are contemporary Christian artists who claim to be Christians and are living the LGBTQ lifestyle. Some are applauding that lifestyle. Of course, you you can be these things. Basically saying, I can live my life and do anything I want to do. But in our passage, Paul teaches the exact opposite. Instead of saying it doesn't matter how we live, Paul says, don't live like you used to live. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. In other words, it matters how we live if we claim to to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it means so much to a, a world that is dying. Just reading, if you just read your Bible from the beginning to the end, you will see that there's this this message to to the Christian that we are called to change, and we are a changed people. The same Paul who wrote Ephesians also wrote this to the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and those old things have passed away, and new things have come, and Paul understood this. I mean, think about this. When you think about Jesus Christ, if you have a a relationship with him, and you know these truths about Jesus Christ, that, that he was the creator of the universe who became a man who lived a perfect, sinless life, who voluntarily died on a cross for your sins, who rose from the grave, who ascended to the Father's side, if you have a relationship with Him, can that relationship not have an effect on you? No, that that relationship has to have an effect on you. When When I think about my relationships that I have, that I have with you, They have an effect on me. When I think about my relationships with my family, they have an effect on me. When I think about my relationships with my fellow pastors, they have an effect on me. And and those are good effects. We know, though, that we can be influenced by others, too, as well, right? See, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. But it also says, bad company corrupts good morals. Who we hang with matters. But when you've been, when you've been with Jesus, that's what matters. It changes everything. 
And if it doesn't change, the question is, have you been with Jesus? You know, how, how, what our relationship is like with Jesus Christ affects how we live. So when we, we look at our, our passage, we, we, we know that it goes back to, to chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Urge you. That's a strong admonition. Urge you to walk. Again, that, there's that word walk again. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live in a, a manner worthy of that relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he comes to the practical application of walking uh, worthy as, he, as we move through chapter 4, 5, and 6. And before we were Christians, I mean, what he's really talking about is, in our passages, is what we were like before we were Christians. And that's what he addresses here in these verses. And so this brings us to our, our, our first point. And we've really already t- kind of touched on it. And it's this, the command in the Lord. The command in the Lord. Verse 17 says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. Just stop there for a second. He testifies in the Lord. Paul, remember, is called as an apostle. He's set apart for the gospel of God. He is is the Lord's servant, and he's addressing these Ephesians, and he's saying, look, this this is not just my authority. This is the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What Paul is saying is that, that, that there is something that, that Jesus Christ is supporting me in here. Because when you look back at, at what Jesus Christ has said, you don't find Jesus Christ anywhere saying exactly what Paul says, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. But does Jesus Christ say things that we should follow and that we should do that separates us from other people? I mean, think about just the call of Jesus Christ. He says, he says anyone would come after me, he must, must what? Take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. That's the same call that Paul is, is, is telling us here. But when I was thinking about this, what, what exactly has Jesus said? I couldn't help but be drawn to, to the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in chapter 5, I'm just going to share a few, a few verses from the Sermon on the Mount because... Jesus says so many things that are so important for us because there are people who, who will say, you know, Jesus will accept me exactly who I, as who I am, and I, I don't have to change. And, and there is some truth to that, right? Jesus accepted me as, as I am. But he caused me to be born again to a living hope. And being born again to a living hope he sets a new path for my life. No. Jesus will. I mean, if you're here and you don't know him, if, if, if what I'm reading to you is not, like you can't say, oh, I'm, I'm on the side where Jeff is, then you're missing it. No. Jesus will accept you, but he calls us to repent and to believe and to follow after him. But listen to what some of the things Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, 
And, and, and I want you to notice that he's calling them to be different. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Doesn't that sound like Jesus wants us to live differently? He says in verse 20 of chapter 5, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said of old that you shall not murder. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says in verse 43, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Are we not called to be different? He says in verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, what Jesus is doing here, he's saying that that we should live lives that are are qualitatively different, but but there's something that Jesus is addressing that they normally didn't address, and it was what? The heart. Because the way we live is indicative of of what kind of heart we have. Do we have a, a hardened heart, or do we have a heart of flesh? And that is exactly what Paul is, is going to address here. And he says this, Now that I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, which brings us to our second point, because he finishes with this statement, in the futility of their minds. So this is where, this point, the, the, the course of the lost. And they're, they're living in the futility of their minds. And this is, uh, there's a word here, and it has to do with the mind thinking, and it's noeo. And it means the mind or thinking, and this is uh, a word that, that theologians, and this is one of the passages where theologians would talk about the, the, the nuthetic effects of, of the fall, where, where the mind is corrupted by the fall of man. And this, it affects our sinfulness, it affects our thinking, it affects our reason. And it's interesting, he says, in the futility of their minds, but look down at verse 23, he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Brothers and sisters, we, we, as Christians, we, we don't throw out our minds when we come to Christ. Paul will actually say in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, what, that we are to but to be renewed in our minds. We, we, ha- we had an old way of thinking as unbelievers. 
We don't want to continue to have that, that, futil, that futility of thinking that we once had. We want to be renewed so that we might know what the will of God is, His good and, and pleasing and perfect will. But when we think about this idea of, of futility, what does futility mean? And in the Old Testament, it's the word vanity. It's, it's the word vanity in Ecclesiastes. It, it means futile, useless, meaningless. Paul speaks of this in more detail in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Listen, he says, For although they, the Gentiles, knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile, again, the same word, in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So futility of mind here is, is, is useless ways of thinking. And it, it doesn't mean that unbelievers can't think great and marvelous truths. It doesn't mean that they can't build amazing buildings. It doesn't mean that they can't good, do good deeds. But, but what this means is that apart from the gospel, they can, they can have no eternal effect on the world or on their, their own lives. You know, I was, I was at Torrance Memorial Hospital visiting Ray Peter, uh, Peterson this week, and, and the, one of the, the new wing there, it's a, it's a beautiful hospital, and it's the, the Richard Lundquist wing of the hospital. And he's a, a philanthropist, he's a rich guy for the South Bay, he's a, a developer, and he, he has built this hospital, and there's this one corridor that has plaques and plaques of people who have donated to this hospital. I'm going to tell you that, that back in 1963, and I'm giving you my age here, back in 1963, I was born in a, a new hospital, brand new hospital. You know where it is today? <laughs> torn down to build a bigger hospital. Richard Lundquist has done this great deed. A hundred years from now, it'll be torn down to have something else built in its place by some other philanthropist. Does it do good? Yes, it does good. It's a good hospital, but it doesn't have any lasting effect. It's, it's, it's really vanity in the end. So it doesn't mean that the Gentiles don't do things. That, and I, I heard this illustration, and it's about kids playing with bubbles. Everybody likes it, right? Even adults like doing it for their children. But you blow bubbles, and they're neat. They're colorful. Kids go, wow. And then what happens? They pop. <laughs> they pop, and they're gone, never to be seen again. Vanity, futility. Apart from Christ, that's, that's the thinking of the unbeliever. John MacArthur in his commentary says this, the unregenerate person plans 
and resolves everything on the basis of his own thinking. He becomes his own ultimate authority, and he follows his own thinking to its ultimate outcome of futility, aimlessness, and meaninglessness, to the self-centered emptiness that characterizes our age. Isn't that the way our culture is? Our culture is, is aimless, and, and, and they, they believe that they're following the right path, yet we know that they're not. You know, they, are, they are futile in their thinking. It's vanity. And that's the course of their, their lives, and they have no person. But it brings us to our, our, our third point. And it, it brings us to the question of why are they, they futile in their thinking? And we see this in the beginning of verse 18, and it's the condition of the lost. They are darkened. They are darkened in their understanding. Why are they futile in their thinking? Because they're darkened in, in their understanding their understanding. And, and to be, to have dark what, means what? To be without light. What Paul is getting at is there, that there's something that is, is clouding their, their vision. They can't see the truth of, of the gospel of Christ. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's what being darkened in your understanding means. It's, it's a life that, that doesn't see the things of God. It's a light that is, is living in a dark world that, that can't follow God's plans. It's being darkened that that means that you, you can't understand the things of God, the things of eternity, the things of this world uh, are, are darkened. Years ago, I was actually probably had just started driving, probably 16 years old, and I was visiting my, my grandparents. They lived on a little farm in Missouri. And I don't know why they did this, but they let me drive. And we were, we were driving home from some friend's house one late night on this, on this road, and, and it began... It's dark and it began to rain. Anybody been in a thunderstorm in the, <laughs> in the middle of the country? It was raining so hard as I'm driving home that, that the windshield wipers are taking the water off the window, but the rain is so heavy <laughs> that I can't even see the front of the car. Dark, scary. And so my, my dad, I thought this was brilliant, <laughs> my dad says, drive on the side, so, so there, there's a paved part and then there's the dirt shoulder, and, and he, 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 had, he had me drive onto the dirt shoulder and then back on, so I was back and forth all the way home because it told me where it was. If, if I continued to go this way, I could be in the ditch. If I continued to go this way, I could be in the other lane. And so I was doing this back and forth, back and forth, going about five or ten miles an hour, not, not very fast. But it was my guide. See, being in darkness, you need something. You need something. So we finally made it home. And sometime after that, I don't remember how, my, my dad, I was talking to him on the phone, and he tells me a story. He says, yeah, I came home, and my grandfather was getting old. He, he couldn't see. I mean, very cloudy vision. My, my, grand, my dad comes home one day, and and he sees one of their trucks move to a different place. And he's like, how did 
my dad drive one of the vehicles? So he goes in and he, he talks to my grandfather and he says, Dad, did you drive? He, he says, yeah, but it was, it, was, it was hard. And he's like, where are the keys? I, I don't know. And so, so my dad doesn't really get the whole story from him. And a guy drives up into the driveway and comes into my dad and says, here's the keys to your truck. Your father was driving down the road, <laughs> back and forth, back and forth, and I honked and stopped him, and I drove him home, and I came back and got the truck and brought it back to you, to your house. And so my, my dad goes, Dad, what, what happened? My grandfather says, well, it was just raining really hard. <laughs> my dad is like, it wasn't raining at all. <laughs> my my grandfather was, was driving in futility. He was darkened. He couldn't see. And that's, that's like the, the unbeliever, isn't it? They can't see where, where they're going. Paul is saying, don't, don't be that way anymore. That, that is the way that you were. Don't walk in darkness. It leads to futility in your thinking. And in the second half of verse 18, he says, they are alienated. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. What is, what is Paul talking about, he, that they are ignorant? Well, the context is that they don't know the gospel. They don't know the gospel. I mean, that's what he's been saying in chapters 1, 2, and 3. They, they are ignorant. They don't know that, that Christ purchased them that he, he saved them, that, that, that he died for their sins. I mean, we, we understand that, that everybody has an understanding of that, that there is a God. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. But, but he's saying these unbelievers are, are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance, the ignorance that is in them. They need to hear the gospel. We know that this is not the first time that we heard, have heard that the Gentiles are, are separated and excluded. Just look back at, at chapter 2, verse 11. In chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Paul again speaking to the Ephesians, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the, the, cir the circumcision. Again, you have the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcision which is, is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So that's what Paul is is addressing to the Ephesians, right? That, that they, are, they at one time were in this state. But look at verse 13 of chapter 2. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the change that takes place. We've been brought near. We were once far off. We need the gospel proclaimed to us. And we need to be proclaiming the gospel to those who are lost, who are walking in the futility of their minds, who are estranged from God, who, who are ignorant of the gospel. 
I mean, we, we sang this song earlier, and I, you know, I, as I was preparing my, my notes uh, going back a, a week or so ago, I was writing some things down, and, and I, I wrote down, you know, I, I once was lost in darkest night, and I thought, I've got I to gotta talk to Noah <laughs> and tell him to sing, All I Have is Christ. And I forgot to. <laughs> but I thank God <laughs> that, that Noah is looking at this passage and he's saying, wow, this is a perfect song for this. And I, and I couldn't help but agree. So I want to read the lyrics to you, even though we just sang it. He says, I once was lost in darkest night. Isn't that true of who we were? Yet thought I knew the way. Isn't that the way unbelievers are? They think they know the way. They're walking in their futility. The sin that, that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, You looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live that all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come for me. Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose. And let my soul forever be. My only boast is you. Our sin condemns us. Our sin condemns us. We can't dig ourselves out of the hole of despair. No, but Christ in his love and his mercy has reached down and he has saved us. He has took the cross upon himself. He has bore our sin. He has lived a righteous life and he bestows on us his righteousness. What a glorious, glorious God we have. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were dead in our trespasses and sins which once, in which we once walked. Again, there's that word, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. You know, Gentiles are excluded from God and it's because of the ignorance of not knowing the gospel. But in But there's also this, there's a resistance that we see. There's a resistance to the gospel that people have because of the hardness of their hearts. So even though we proclaim, we know that some are not going to come. You know, one of, probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But just... 
A few verses later in verse 19 of John 3, he says this, and this is the judgment, this is Jesus speaking, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You know, we had a little Super Bowl get-together just recently, and we were watching it, and obviously the halftime show comes, and just watching, just paganism. You know, if you went back 20 years, you wouldn't have seen those things, but it's just sheer, sheer paganism, licentiousness. Recently, I saw an article that there's a statue that was just placed on the top of a Manhattan courthouse, a, a pagan goddess next to Moses. You know, when we look at our world, we, we see how, how really troubled it is. But I want to encourage you in this, that this is not new. It may be new to this country, but it's not new. I mean, just think what Paul is writing to. He's writing to the Ephesians. <laughs> middle of the middle of Ephesus is the, the, the temple of Artemis or Diana, where they're having pagan worship and and prostitution and living lifestyles that are so contrary. And and yes, we're seeing some of that today, but but it was happening then. And then you go back 800 years before Christ. What does Isaiah say? He says, Woe to those who call evil good and, and good evil, who put darkness for light and, and light for darkness, who, who put bitter for sweet and, and sweet for bitter. Brothers and sisters, this, is, this has been happening. It's going to continue to happen. But I'm reminded in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when, when Paul is addressing the church there and there's, a, there's the immoral, immoral brother, this, this immoral brother, he's a, he calls himself a Christian and he's living an immoral life. Paul tells them, he says, do not judge those outside. God judges them. We judge those who are inside the church. That's where judgment starts. It starts in the church. That's why Paul's addressing us through this book of Ephesians, so that we should live different lives than the Gentiles live. Now, we, you, know, you, can't, you can't call an unbeliever to live like a Christian. But you can call a believer not to live like a pagan. Now, and we know that he goes on, he says, why, why is this? Because it's due to the hardness, the hardness of a heart. And that's what believers need, unbelievers need, is they need a, a new heart. Aren't you glad if you're a believer that you got a new heart? Because <laughs> you would be in the same place that they are. No, a heart, hardness of heart speaks of somebody who is resistant to the things of God. No, it's being unwilling to submit to, to God and what He commands. And 
I thank God for the, the new covenant. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 through 27, speaking of the new covenant that was to come, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So he, he takes our, our hard hearts away and gives us a heart that is sensitive and feels and responds to God. Aren't you glad? He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk. Again, there's that word walk in my statutes, to live by my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. A hard heart is resistant to, to be corrected by biblical truth. And then in verse 18, he says, again, he says, they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They need the gospel. So that, that's the first thing. And we're moving into our last point. And, and all those things, if you think about it, all those things, futility of mind, that's not something you can see, is it? A hardness of heart you, you can't really see. But, but Paul's going to address those things you can see now. This is where we see the conduct of the loss. In verse 19, he says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, they're futile in their thinking. They're, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from God. They're ignorant to His truths. Their hardness leads them to becoming callous. And this idea of, of being callous is, is apathetic. It's, it's a, a, to be insensitive to the things of God. And I think Paul, what he's doing is, is he's warning Christians, don't become insensitive to the things of God. How can we become insensitive to the things of God? Like the frog in the kettle. By allowing things whether it be our own sin or other people's sin, to just be part of our lives. And, and we get a little bit more callous and a little bit more callous and a little bit more callous. So Paul says, beware of that. If sin stops bothering you, then there's an issue. No, but it has to do with our, our hearts, and we have to become more and more sensitive. And we know that... We at one time were callous. We, we were insensitive to sin, but, but God has given us His Spirit to convict us of sin. Don't resist the, the, the Holy Spirit. And he finishes this by saying this, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This idea of sensuality is really sec sexual immorality. One lexicon said it's, it's unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness. And that word, they're, they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I can't get enough of it. I want more and more. It's unrestrained. And then he, he kind of lumps all this, and he says, and Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 29 through 31, he says, they, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I mean, can he say more than that? 
I mean, that one phrase, inventors of evil. They have to come up with something new. And, and sadly, I think you see in our culture that happening more and more, isn't it? They are inventing new things. Who would have thought some of the things that have been invented? They go against nature. They go against God. But let's, again, lest we think this is just all about them. No, Paul is not addressing them. He's addressing us. And he says they're faced with every kind of impurity. And, and I think what he means is that, again, that we need to put off our old self and, and put on our new self. And he's going to say in verse 25 through 29, I just want to read this. We'll cover it in, a, in the next week or so. And he says, therefore, having... Put away falsehood. That's what we need to do. We need to stop lying to one another. He says, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. He says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. We need, we need to, to be peacemakers and, and love and, and listen to each other. Verse 28 says, let the thief no longer steal. We, we need to stop being thieves. And that, that covers a lot of different areas of, of how we... I mean, are, are you truthful on your taxes? Are you honest with people? You know, I, I went to buy a desk this week. And, you know, it was on Facebook Marketplace. I've been looking for a certain kind of desk for, for my office at home. And I have an office at home because we have an empty nest now. <laughs> so I get to have an old room and... I've got plans for it, and I, w I went to buy this old metal tanker desk. And I, I went to see it, and it was listed, you know, at a certain price, and I went and saw it, and, and it had some dents on it that I didn't like. You know, and I started to think, I don't think so. And I could tell... The lady was disappointed, and she, she's like, well, I, I can come down in price. And, you know, I sort of think, well, okay, you know, let me, let me do that. Let me come down in price. And finally, I just, I said, no, it's okay. I'll take it, full price. And I said, I just want to be a blessing to you. You know, I want to be a blessing to you. Why, why do I have to? Steal no longer. Not, it wouldn't have been stealing. I could have bargained. And I'm not saying bargaining is not, is not a good thing to do. But, but I wanted to be light to this lady. And I wanted to be a light to my son who was there with me. But I didn't have to. But I didn't have to get a bargain. That I could be a blessing. No, he, he tells us, put away these things. And, and Paul, Paul's point is, this is how you used to be. This is how you used to be. Don't, don't live that way anymore. And, it, and if you are an unbeliever here, that's the way you still are. Don't be fooled by the futility of your thinking. Don't be fooled by the dark and understanding that you have. But listen to the gospel. Listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, 
that he came and he lived a, that perfect life, that he died a, really a perfect death in our place, and put your trust in him and, and become that new creation. And if you are a believer and you're living like an unbeliever, stop it. Stop it. And how you do that is, is to remember. Remember that you have been brought to life from death. Again, Paul is not calling the Gentiles to live like Christians. He's calling us as Christians not to live like the Gentiles. Don't follow the, their course, the course of the Gentiles, living in the futility of their mind. Instead, have your mind renewed. If you're struggling as a Christian, be in the Bible. Read your Bible. Grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and He'll have a transforming work on your life. Remember your, your condition. You're not like them. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And instead of having a hardness of heart, be receptive to, to God's Word, to, to have somebody tell you the truth and to listen to them. And rather than being callous, be sensitive to sin. Remember that it is our Savior who committed no sin that gave His life for us. And why do we do this? Because it matters, right? It matters as, for us as Christians that we would live differently than this world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for this day that we have gathered to, to worship you. You are worthy to receive worship and praise. You are a glorious God. And we thank you for giving your beloved Son who is the propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. Lord, that we, may we be people who go and tell the world about Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.